So we've been in a series for a long time, um, and it's kind of like the series that's just never going to end, I think, um, because even after it ends, it really doesn't end, because what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is really how we begin a relationship with, with God, with Jesus, how we live that out in our daily lives, what God has always been doing from beginning to end, and that's what this journey series is all about, that it's not about destinations. Now, we like destinations, but it's really about the journey that we're on. Like, I don't want to just get through a problem. I want to, like, endure the problem. I want to make sure that I develop the character that I need as I go through that problem. I don't want to just get the job done. I want to do it well. I mean, that's what our Christian life is all about. It's not just getting to death safely. It's about living now in the kingdom of God and living for His glory. And so as we've gone through this booklet, uh, if you don't have a copy, there are booklets available on the table. Today we are in part 12. We're in part 12. We're going to talk about the church a little bit today. Um, But the key to the journey is relationships. And for us at Restoration Church, uh, we use the table to signify relationship. And we are all in relationship with God or called to be in relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. That's what we call the table of intimacy. You and I are called to sit at that table all day long, every day. It's not about doing personal devotions. It's not about praying. It's about living in fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit, with God Himself. It's about the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives. It's about sitting at the table of intimacy. Making sure that we're aware when we're at work and we're about to cuss, off, cuss out our, our coworker. Remember, you're sitting at the table of intimacy. Okay, we don't just like, we don't go in and out of the presence of God. We want to make sure that we know when we're being yelled at and we're feeling beat up and we're feeling all pressed down, we're even in the presence of our enemies, we are sitting at the table that he has prepared for us. Okay, we live in fellowship with him. We also, in the body of Christ, sit at the table of communion. We sit together as a group in fellowship with one another. Now, that doesn't mean we're always at a physical table together, but we need to make sure that we're living in relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But we also sit at this table of connection. We want to be connecting with people in our community, people in our workplace, people in our neighborhood. We want to be connecting with them to bring the kingdom into their lives. Whether that's serving them, whether that's giving a cup of cold water, whether that's just a kind word, whether that's healing the sick, raising the dead, whatever that looks like, we want to bring kingdom into the lives of people. Every person that we encounter through this week should be better off after having encountered us. Think about that. Every person we encounter this week should be better off after they encounter us. Why? Because the Spirit of the living God lives in us. That's not a guilt trip. I don't want you to leave here today or this week when you blow it and you're like, oh man, that person's not better off for sure. Uh, I don't want you to be like, oh. But I want you to start thinking about the fact that every person you talk to should leave better off. I want you to imagine yourself literally depositing kingdom into their lives in that conversation. And it's going to look different every time. But... Uh, Thaddeus did a great job last week when we talked about part 11, uh, building on that foundation of faith, the framework of faith, the spiritual practices that we do to continue to grow that thing, and uh, then the function of our faith, putting that into practice. And so today, 
we're going to talk about church matters. We're going to talk about church matters. Um, the title of part 12 in our book is why, the, why is Church Important? Why is Church Important? And I say church matters. I also want to talk about like the things that church does. So church matters. And so that's what we're going to talk about as we go through today. The, the, the reading in your book is going to be a supplement to the things that I share today. But I know that the word church in our culture, um, man, there's so much that's attached to that word. For everybody, it means something different. For some people, the word church, you get good feelings when you think about it. For other people, the word church carries some trauma with it. Maybe there's been some past hurt that's associated with church, and they don't want anything to do with it. When we use the word church in our culture, sometimes we're talking about a building. Hey, did you, do you go to that church down on the corner? And so, yeah, the church is a building. Or, hey, are you going to go to church this Sunday? Yeah, the, it's a worship service. Or what church do you belong to? Like what denomination or what name? What, what group? But in the scripture, the word church is the word ekklesia in the Greek. And that word always refers to people. It never refers to a building. It never refers to a service. It never refers... So when Jesus uses the word and says, I will build my church, what he's using is a political term that in the, in the Roman Empire, an ecclesia would have been an assembly. And so in every community, there would be an ecclesia. There would be a group of people that made up this assembly that would come together. They would establish order in that community. They would run the affairs of the Roman Empire in that community. They would do the work of the, the emperor in that community. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I have a kingdom and my ecclesia, my community, my assembly is going to do my business in community. That's what church is. And we've dumbed it down in our society to, to a worship service. It is not a worship service. It's a group of people on mission together in a community bringing kingdom everywhere we go. And so let's make sure when we talk about it, we, we understand what we're talking about. Now, when Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't know what you think about when you hear that phrase, but what Jesus is, Jesus is in Caesarea and Caesarea Philippi. So in Caesarea Philippi, there is a wall, a mountain with carvings of foreign gods on it. And that's where his disciples are. They're in a very pagan place. In fact, the disciples are probably looking around thinking, what are we doing here? And it, there's a nickname for the spring that comes out of that wall. I had a chance when I was in Israel to visit this site. I, it came out of that wall, and it's called the Gates of Hell. Interesting. And Jesus comes along. He says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, and I'm not going to build it in a corner somewhere. I'm not going to build it in a room somewhere. I'm not going to build it in a, a little place where you're secluded from the world. No, 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 no. I'm going to build my ecclesia right in the center of the gates of hell, right in the most uh, demonic, right in the most crazy. Church should not be in a building. Church ought to be out there in the craziest place that you would never expect it to be. I love that all over the place, churches are popping up. They meet in bars. And we're like, why would a church meet in a bar? Because the people that need it are in the bar. I'm not saying we have to. Do, it's not about carbon copying what anyone else is doing. But be careful that we don't look at what someone else is doing and say, well, that's not church. Why, yes, it is. 
In fact, I think meeting in a building for an hour a week isn't church. If we're not connected outside of this room, we're not church. We're a club. We're coming together for just, you know, to feel good about ourselves. Connection is what we're talking about. Mission together is what we're talking about. And this is what the assembly is all about. We've talked about this idea of making disciples. Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. So my question today is, who's a disciple? As we've been talking about, who's who's a disciple? Well, disciple is anyone that has said, I want to follow Jesus. So if you're in this room today or you're watching online today and you have said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to him. I am following Jesus. Guess what you are? A disciple. Yes. But just being a disciple in name doesn't mean you're actually putting it into practice. And the reason that we have a body is to encourage one another to be disciples and to make disciples. So if you're a disciple... Who's called to make disciples? All disciples. So guess what? Your mission on this earth is not to make a lot of money. It's not to have a good retirement. It's not to just hang on till Jesus comes. It's not to just white-knuckle it and build a bunker somewhere for the end of the world. It's to be about the Father's business making disciples. It's about taking someone one step closer to Jesus. If they're already a follower, it's helping them on the way. If they're not a follower, it's pointing them in the right direction. That's our call to make disciples, and we do it everywhere we go. So some people, when it comes to church, don't have anything to do with it. Um, Because, you know, church today, it's nothing like what it was in the Scripture, so I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, I think that's the wrong way to go. I don't think we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think the way to change the church is to get involved in the church. It's nice that there are people that from outside the church have these like uh, websites and these blog posts where they're all bad in the church and telling everybody what's wrong with the church and why they're deconstructing and all of these bad things and blah, 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 blah. Well, praise God for you, but I don't think that you'll find in Scripture Jesus saying, stand outside the church and curse it. No, I think Jesus says lock arms with it and move it along. And that's what the church is called to do. Now, I'm not afraid of people that are deconstructing their faith because maybe they were raised in something and they're starting to read through the Scripture and they're like, man, church isn't really what it's supposed to be. But if you're going to deconstruct your faith, you ought to do it in a community of believers. Because if you just gather around yourself a couple people that want to tell you what you want to hear, that's a dangerous world to live in. You ought to do it around people that maybe don't think just like you because that's going to help make sure that you're looking at this from all the different angles that need to be looked at. It's called safety. There's safety in numbers. In a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And so in the body of Christ, we deconstruct our faith in a way that we understand. We're not just tearing stuff apart, but we're going to put things back together. We don't want to just rip things up because it doesn't make sense to us or because in the Bible they didn't do it because sometimes we take the the biblical truth and we bring it into our culture today and we make it culturally relevant. So I'm not saying that everything we do as a church or everything that's traditional is bad. No, no, that's not the, the case. But we do want to make sure that what we're doing 
is actually what lines up with what the early church did. And so we want to make sure that we bring that together. So I want to look at two passages in Acts, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bible, you can turn in your Bible and go there. Um, But I'm going to put them on the screen as well. These are, again, very familiar passages about the early church. And I'm going to read them from the Common English Bible, the Common English Translation. I think they do a, a really good job with some of the words that we don't know what to do with. Before we read these, I want to remind you that something that we've talked about a lot at Restoration Church, um, I don't want to to just be people that read the Bible. I want us to be a people that understand the Bible. There are people in our world today, in the church world, that are out there saying, if you have a high view of Scripture, then you have to take every word of this English Bible very literally, and you can't, like, you can't deviate from that. And if you don't, If you don't take it literally, you don't have a high value of Scripture. I don't know if you know where this book comes from, um, but there's a a whole history of, I mean, this is a collection of 1,600 years, 40 different people writing as they felt prompted by God, talking about the revelation of who God is, how He's revealed Himself to them. They walked with Jesus in person, and so they're, they're passing on that information to us. Well, it did not just get dropped out of heaven like one day when someone was sitting somewhere. This came down. Um, This book has been put together over time. Scholars have come together and said, well, this book, the the gospel according to Thomas, well, we're not sure that that really was written by Thomas, and we don't think that fits in here. The book of Maccabees, well, that tells really the whole story of like ancient Israel in in certain ways, and there's probably a lot of good stuff in there, but we don't think it belongs in this book. And, and the, the, the book of Enoch, I, don't, I mean, here's a puzzler for you. The book of Enoch isn't in this book, but yet there are quotes in this book from the book of Enoch. I don't know what to do with that. So what, do you, so what I'm trying to tell you is this English translation, I love it when people say, don't read other people's opinions about the Scripture, just read the Scripture. Well, The scripture was written in Hebrew and Greek, and so if you read an English Bible, you're already reading someone's opinion about the scripture because it had to be translated. And even if you read different translations, you realize very quickly that they don't even agree about how to translate it. And so before you throw up your arms and be like, oh my goodness, can we trust it? Absolutely, we can trust it. And absolutely, we place high value in it. But I think the people that value it dig in a little more than just reading it in the English translation. They dig a little further. They'll, they'll use a tool like the Bible Project that puts together some sources. or re- They'll read a commentary. They'll read a study Bible. They'll read some other things. They'll try to get a little more understanding. So if you've been serving the Lord for three or four years by now, you should probably be doing more than just reading it. That's what we've been trying to talk about over these last several months. And so when we don't do that, we get a misunderstanding of what church is like. That's where we get we, these verses where, well, the Apostle Paul clearly says women should be silent in the church. Women should have no authority over a man in the church. It's clear in the Scripture. It's also clear in the Scripture. The Apostle Peter says Paul writes some things that are very hard to understand. So I'm going to tell you something. If the Apostle, if the Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, is saying that what Paul has written is sometimes really hard to understand, and he speaks the language that Paul wrote in, then you and I ought not to say, well, it's pretty black and white in that book. Does that make sense? 
That's one of my little pet peeves, did you know? Like, because I think that the church has done a great disservice to women in the body of Christ. The voice of women needs to be heard. From the beginning, God created them male and female. And from the beginning, they were partners displaying the image of God. And when we silence the voice of half of the image of God, we're missing out in the body of Christ. Now, could I be wrong? Yeah, I could be wrong. Is that going to send me to hell? No. Although you would think the people that teach that women can't have authority over a man would think that that would send me to hell. The dogmatic way that they teach it and preach it. So be careful that you don't just take things that you read and run with them. Why is it good that we live in community? To keep us from doing that. Acts chapter 2. So here we are. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day, they met together in the temple. They ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. <laughs> Are you hearing it? And the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, two chapters over, verse 32, the community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. Are you getting nervous? The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Now I want to talk for just a couple minutes about the things that this church was devoted to. That word devoted is not just a, you know, they showed up on Sunday morning and they spent an hour and a half together. That word devoted is an intentionality, it's an effort, it's a, pro, it's a perseverance, it's a communion, it's a connection that goes way deeper than 90 minutes a week. That's one thing that we've got to take away from this. If we are going to be a part of Restoration Church, we have got to find a way to be connected outside of the Sunday morning experience. We've got to. The first thing that I think that this church is devoted to is Jesus. Jesus is the center. I don't know that Jesus is the center of the American church. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I mean, I think we kind of, we kind of draw lines around like our doctrine. What, what unites us is our shared beliefs, our doctrines, our denomination. Our, but here's the thing. I think what has to, 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 to be the center of all of our lives is Jesus. Because you and I are going to disagree on some doctrine. We're going to disagree on how end times are going to shake out. We're going to disagree on way, the way the baptism of the Holy Spirit works. We're going to disagree on those things. And if that's what unites us, our shared beliefs, we're not going to be united very long. 
But in, if Jesus is what unites us, then you might think, nah, women shouldn't be in ministry. And I might think they need to be in ministry. But guess what? Jesus is both of our centers. And so we're going to stay united because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. Now, if we don't agree on Jesus, well, then we really don't have anything in common because He's the center. In Acts chapter 1, the, Luke is writing and he says, After Jesus' suffering, He showed them that He was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. What did they do after Jesus' resurrection for this period of 40 days? They centered themselves on Jesus. I think the church needs to get back to Jesus as the center. He is everything. It doesn't mean there's nothing else to talk about, but if he is the center, then our disagreements will not divide us. Our disagreements actually will strengthen us. They were devoted to Jesus. The second thing that they're devoted to, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? They were devoted to being learners. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's to be a learner. You and I, as we follow Jesus, are committed to a lifetime of learning. We are committed to ordering our lives around Jesus. The Jewish rabbis, when they talk about the Scripture, they, they say it's like a diamond. Literally, it's like a kaleidoscope. The, when you take the Scripture, there, there's so many, it's multifaceted. You, you turn it just a little bit and you see something you never saw before. It's like the, there's constant revelation that flows out of this book into our lives. Why is that? Because there is a God. This book is the revelation of God. It's a revelation of a God who is continually revealing Himself and will never be exhausted by us. You and I will never get to the place where we fully grasp who He is. And so as you continue to grow and learn, you, we continue to see things we never saw before. Things continue to make sense. Sometimes our theology gets corrected. Sometimes our theology gets strengthened. Sometimes our attitude gets corrected. Sometimes our attitude gets strengthened. We keep growing. This is why there are layer after layer after layer after layer in the first covenant, revealed in the second covenant, revealed in our lives today, and it's still in the future. It's like, well, was, what did this mean to the, the, the first people? But did it also mean something else? Well, yeah, you know, it, it probably still has meaning that we don't even know yet. Like there, There's so much that's packed in this book. And if we commit ourselves to be continual learners. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gave some apostles, this is Jesus, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And his purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. Now, that's not talking about information. Okay? Knowledge is not information in the Scripture. Knowledge is experiential. So until you and I get to the place where our lives are fully ordered around Jesus, we're going to keep working. Now how many of you know we're going to be working till Jesus comes? 
Amen. Tell, learn, turn to your neighbor. Say, hey, you're a work in progress. There you go. You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. We're committed to be learners. God's goal, he goes on to say, God's goal for us is to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. So he goes on. Instead, speaking the truth in love. What he has said is, stop lying. If you're lying to each other, stop it. Speak the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into Christ who's the head. The whole body grows from Christ. It's joined and it's held together by all of the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow. It builds itself up in love as each one does its part. So I'm telling you this, and I insist on the Lord. You shouldn't live your lives like the Gentiles do. So again, there's that, that sense of connection, community, togetherness that goes beyond the 90 minutes. We're, we're connected to one another. And now the application part. We're not going to live like the Gentiles anymore. We're not going to live like those who don't have Christ living in them. He said, you didn't learn this sort of thing from Christ since you really listened to Him and you were taught the truth in Jesus. Change the former way of life that was a part of the person you once were corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit and clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. Now, he's going to go on all through the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, and he's going to continue to say things like, if you've been lying, stop it. And don't just stop lying. Instead, start speaking truth. If you've been letting your anger get the best of you, now, here's the thing. We can't control when the emotion of anger comes. But we can always control the outlet of that anger. Do not let anger control you. By the power of the Spirit, you control it. That's what Paul is saying here. If you've been stealing, stop it. I mean, this, this is Paul. He's saying it. Don't do it. Instead, start sharing. Why, why do you steal? Do you know why you steal? Greed? Selfishness? So how do you... It's not just about white-knuckling it. Okay, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal. And if you focus on not stealing, do you know what you're going to be tempted to do? Steal. you got to go after the root. So rather than just stop stealing, go after the selfishness and the greediness and start sharing. Be generous. Because that'll kill the root of selfishness in your life. Do you know what the root of anger is? James tells us the root of anger is selfishness. Every time that you let anger get the best of you, selfishness is the root. Start being generous. If, then he goes on, if you're bitter, if you're losing your temper, if you're slandering, stop it. Oh, I mean, it's Paul. Love, God, love, he's great. Instead, start being kind. Start being compassionate. Forgiving. See, it's not just about don't do this, but you've got to go after the root of that behavior. It's not about stopping one thing. It's about going after what's causing that behavior. Imitate God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God in everything you do. Imitate God in everything you do. In what you watch, in what you read, in how you talk about your neighbor, in how you talk about your coworker, how you talk about your boss, in your sexuality, in everything. 
Because right after this, then Paul finally, finally he gets to sexual immorality. But you would think in the church world, the most important sin is, is sexuality. Can I tell you, sexuality is on the list. It's not okay. It's not okay to engage in premarital sex. It's not okay to engage in homosexual activity. It's not okay. It's on the list. But can I tell you, it's not the focal point of the list either. Not the way the church has made it out to be. It's all on the list. And then he goes back into our attitudes and our speech again. I would say the most important things on these lists are our words and our attitudes. From that flows everything else. And so as a church, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to structure rhythms and services and events and activities according to what helps us grow in maturity in Christ. We're to do things together in a way that's going to build the body of Christ up. So that means meeting together on Sunday morning in this room. It means prayer services. It means Bible studies at people's houses. It means like fellowship events at other people's houses. It's, it's just getting together sometimes with three or four people in the body of Christ. It's about sending a text message to somebody. It's about grouping together in an email. It's about just doing whatever it takes to connect with the body of Christ and encourage each other to no longer live like we used to, but to put on the new nature in Christ Jesus and walk that out. Not trying to catch each other doing things wrong, but encouraging each other to do what is right. Man, that's the body of Christ. Sometimes people are like, Pastor Tom, you're telling people to text message during church. I don't think that's a good idea. Why not? Well, because you should be focused on the Lord. I, well, you, yes, you should be. But can I tell you something? If you are in a worship service and you are focused on the Lord and you are praising His name in song, can I tell you if you touch His heart, you're going to get a glimpse of His heart. And can I tell you what's on His heart? People. People. And if you actually touch the Father's heart, He's going to say, hey, go touch that one. Send this text message. Get that relationship cleaned up. Because that's what's on his heart. It's not just about getting goosebumps and being, oh, oh, praise God, I'm crying. It's about touching the Father's heart and actually touching what matters to him. And that's other people. All right, we've got to keep moving. Whew, they were devoted to that. They were devoted to community. They were devoted to community. Some translations will say they were devoted to fellowship. How many of you want to get together for some fellowship? Praise the Lord. Uh, that is the most misunderstood word in the entire English language. Because you don't go to your co-workers today and say, hey, would you guys like to, to fellowship after lunch, or for lunch today? Would you like to fellowship around the water cooler during our, our 2 o'clock break today? We don't use that anywhere in the church. And we think that if we come together with other believers, it's just fellowship. Now, there's a whole lot of gossip and slander sometimes when we come together as believers, and that ain't fellowship. But fellowship is not just hanging out together. Like hanging out, that's great. But fellowship is a deeper commitment, connection. That's why the, the English Bible, or English translation here, uses the word community. That's what they were committed to. They weren't just committed to like gathering together for a baked potato bar after church. They were committed to get involved in each other's lives and build community together. The word koinonia in the Greek is the word that we're talking about. 
when we, we see it in this passage, we, we get the definition following it. They were committed to, to koinonia. Well, what's that look like? Well, they started selling stuff. Whoa. They started selling stuff? Yeah, they found out someone had a need. They didn't have anything to give. Now, I want you to understand something. This isn't socialism. This isn't communism. This isn't like demand. Okay, you can't force people to do this. But when you start connecting with the heart of a generous God, your generosity begins to grow. To the point where you're like, I have two houses. I don't need two houses. Those people have needs. I could sell that. It's not going to affect my life. I could give it to them. That's what's taking place. So along come Ananias and Sapphira. Hey, hey, look, everyone likes Barnabas. He sold that field and gave the money. And man, that's awesome. Let's do that. But hey, let's just sell it and only give half. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Why? Because they weren't, they weren't lying to people. They were lying to the Spirit. And I don't understand that. They fall down dead. Yeah. I mean, if people lied about their tithe and they fell down dead today, <laughs> there wouldn't be a whole lot of people left. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> so I don't know why they died. But Peter's words ring true. Guys, you didn't have to sell that. And even after you sold it, you didn't have to bring all the money. Like it was yours to do whatever you wanted with. I mean, this isn't legislation. But when you start connecting to the heart of the Father, all of a sudden you start being a little more free with your time, a little more free with your energy, a little more free with your life. You don't serve and do 100 things in the body of Christ because you want people to value you, but you do it because you understand, man, the generous heart of a father, and I want to be generous to parents who sit with screaming babies all week, and I want to serve in the nursery so they can have a chance to sit in here without their screaming baby. That's generosity. What can I do? And praise God that we've got church potlucks all over this community for this, the month of October. But do we have community? Do we have people that are willing to say, I'll be inconvenienced for you. I'll sell a piece of property for you. I'll go above and beyond because I've touched the heart of a generous father and I know if I'm generous to you, in some way he's going to be generous back to me. I know he's going to take care of me. Not because we legislate it, but because he's good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's koinonia right here. Brothers and sisters, we want to let you know about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. While they were being tested by many problems, their extra amount of happiness and their extreme poverty resulted in a surplus of generosity. I don't know how that works, but the, the math of the kingdom is lots of problems, extreme poverty, and happiness equals generosity. Praise God. I assure you that they gave what they could afford and even more than they could afford, and they did it voluntarily. They urgently begged us for the privilege of koinonia. It's right there. It's the same Greek word, koinonia. And we translate it as fellowship, and we have a potluck because, after all, they were committed to fellowship. Praise the Lord. If we would dig a little deeper, we'd find out that that's not about a potluck. 
It's about sharing our lives together. It's about sitting at a table, not with a facade, talking about sports and the weather, but opening up and saying, here's where I'm struggling. Would you pray for me before we leave today? Because I know that if I open up to you, maybe you'll open up to me. And I'm not going to wait for you to go first. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to risk, and I'm going to put myself out there. I know it's going to be hard. I know I'm going I'm to run the risk of you talking about me behind my back, but it's the only way community will ever get established. And so I'm going to do it because it's in the book. It's koinonia. I don't have to wait till I'm able because God gives grace. He, he goes on to say, they, they even exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us, consistent with God's will. As a result, we challenged Titus to finish this work of grace with you the way he started it. Be the best in this work of grace in the same way that you're the best in everything. You're the best in faith and you're the best in speech and you're the best in knowledge and you're the best in total commitment. You're the best in love. But I'm not giving you an order. I'm mentioning the commitment of others trying to prove the authenticity of your love also. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although He was rich, He became poor for your sakes so that you could become rich through His poverty. Do you hear the word grace in there all the time? You want to be generous? Ask God for grace. Because if you just try to, if you just try to do it, <laughs> okay, they're generous. I'm going to give away lots of money that I don't have. I'm going to put it on my credit card. That's an Ananias and Sapphira move right there. I'm not saying you're going to drop down dead, but you're going to be dead in debt. You've got to connect to the heart of a generous father. God, give me grace. And it's going to start by being generous with what you do have, not what you don't have. And as you start being generous with what you do have, God's going to bring more and you're going to give more. Man, God's grace is more than able to help us. we got to keep moving. I'm taking way too long. All right, they devoted themselves to shared meals. Shared meals. Again, what, what they're talking about in this passage is every time they got together, they had the Lord's Supper together. So we think, well, we got to have more meals together. Well, not necessarily. Okay, in this cultural context, they got together, they had meals, but they had communion. The, the key here is not the food. It's not sitting at a table. The key is spiritual connection of communion, bringing the Lord's table to whatever you're doing. So when you go fishing with your friends, take communion. No joke. Find a way to connect spiritually. Recognize that we're sitting together at the Lord's table as we're sitting by the river. I know, um, but don't do it on Sunday morning. <laughs> If you go for a three-mile run with people, imagine yourself sitting at the Lord's table. Why, why do we do this? Because when you're at the Lord's table, when you're taking communion, you're recognizing the amazing amount of grace and mercy that God has poured out on your life. And it's really hard to be ticked off at people when, oh, when you're recognizing what God has done for you. So they met together every day and they did communion together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we don't have time to read it, but the Apostle Paul says, you know what? When you come together for communion, you're doing more harm than good. You're not recognizing the body of Christ. You're, you're stepping all over the needs of other people. 
It's not about having dinner together or lunch together or coffee together. It's about connecting over the table of the Lord together. Some of you are going to start carrying these little... They make these for pastors when we go to the nursing home. They're these little boxes. You put a little couple communion cups in there and close that baby up and you can take communion with you everywhere you go. I think every believer ought to have those. No joke. And it doesn't matter what you use. Look around. Find a... I know, Mountain Dew and Skittles. Praise the Lord. It's not about the element. It's not about what you use. It's about you and I connecting together saying, you know what, we're at the table of Jesus together. And that will bond you together in a spiritual way you have no idea. No idea. That's what it's about. That's what they were committed to. All right, the last thing they were committed to, we don't have, unfortunately, time to talk a lot about it, but it's to prayer. It's to prayer. Man, the Jews, there was a rhythm to their prayer life. They prayed all the time. They prayed throughout the day. They prayed at certain hours. They prayed written prayers. They prayed prayers just from their heart. They prayed all the time. Why? Because they, they wanted to recognize that, that they, they need to call on the Lord. It's about connecting to the Lord. Over and over in the Scriptures, we get things like Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer in the worship gathering. Prayer in house of prayer for this, this body. You know, for 25 years, I've said, you know what? If we want to impact this community, let's make house of prayer the best thing we do. 25 years I've been saying that. And we're not convinced that that's true. I mean, when the apostles met together and prayed together, it shook the city. And they did it regularly. They did it daily. It's not about house of prayer. It's got to go beyond that. If you're in a text group with people when you're praying for each other, when you reach out, hey, pray for me. Let's pray this prayer. It's about getting together with other believers that you work with from other churches over lunch and saying, hey, let's pray together. Man, when, when houses of prayer start popping up all over this city, this city will be transformed. Quit putting all your stock in the election next year because that's not going to change a thing. It's not. This country is still going to be divided. You know what's going to change this nation? God's people praying. It's that simple. Ephesians 6.18 Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep alert. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's what they were devoted to. You, you want to be a body of Christ that makes an impact in the city? Be devoted to Jesus. Be devoted to being a learner. Be devoted to community. Be devoted to, to breaking bread, to sharing meals, to the Lord's table. Let's just call it that. And be devoted to prayer. If this group devotes ourselves to those things, we'll turn the world upside down. We'll turn the world upside down. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? And so, Holy Spirit, man, we quiet our hearts before you right now. And we say, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. God, we believe your word. We believe that if this room of people right now would just commit ourselves to these things, man, the city of Huron would be changed. That's all it would take. But God, we also know we don't want to just make bold declarations today. Oh, we're ready to die with you, Jesus. 
Holy Spirit, we want to count the cost. We don't want to make bold proclamations today. We want to take the first step. We know that we're on a journey. We know that you're working in our lives, that you're working in our church, that you're building community, that you're doing it. What's that one thing? God, reveal to us why you've brought us to Restoration Church. What giftings, what talents, what abilities? Why are we here? How do you want us to engage? What step do we need to take to devote ourselves more to you, more to being a learner, more to community, more to your table, to mercy and grace, more to prayer? Holy Spirit, I pray today for clarity in this room over these next 60 seconds. Speak to our hearts in such a clear way that no one leaves this room today without knowing what our next step needs to be. Father, help us to be willing to make ourselves accountable to one another. To even share what you've put in our hearts today. God, as as we sit around this table for lunch, God, that we would open up about what our next step needs to be. What this looks like in our lives. That we would go beyond just the surface stuff today. God, that we would take this opportunity to just to put words and voice to what your spirit is saying to us. There's two things before... I just want you to to just keep listening for the Holy Spirit. Listen for Him. Listen for me. There's two things. There are some of you that maybe you're a new believer and you're like, well, I, I don't know if I could make a disciple. I don't really have a lot to add to the conversation. Can I tell you something? I think new believers, your voice is so important in the body of Christ because we tend to read the Bible through the lens of we've already heard it all. And sometimes when a new believer says, man, what does this mean? It causes us to see things that we have never seen before because we're not asking the right questions. And so if you're a new believer in this room, don't sell yourself short and think that you've got to grow up in your faith before you start sharing stuff. Just share what God's put in your heart. Keep yourself open to correction and teaching and learning. But man, don't sell yourself short today. For the rest of us, my prayer this week has been for God to speak with such clarity. And I want to encourage you, before you leave this room, use your book, write down your next step. What does God want me to do different as a result of this this message today? These steps. Where does my devotion need to increase in the body of Christ? Now, Holy Spirit, give us grace. Give us grace to live this out. Not only in our church, but God, to encourage others, other churches. God, we don't want Restoration Church to grow. We want the kingdom of God to grow in our city. God, there are enough souls to fill the churches in our city and more need to be built. Help us to be about your business this week ahead. Help us together to establish your kingdom everywhere we go. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for
engaging with us today. Worship time, prayer time, message. I want to challenge you before you leave. If you haven't written something down, don't rush. You can sit for a few minutes before you go. And I, w- I want to challenge you, whether it's over lunch or somewhere today, find someone to say, hey, here's what the Lord laid on my heart today. Hold me accountable to that. Because it's way too easy for us to stand in this service today. Oh, I surrender all. Here's my heart. I make room for you. It's too easy for us to say, yeah, Lord, ah, I really need to step up in this area. We need one another. We need one another to say, hey, how's that going for you? I've been praying for you this week. Encourage one another in the Lord this week. That's the challenge as we go home today. So if you're going to join us for lunch, we'd love to have you over there. If you can't join us for lunch, uh, don't forget tonight, business meeting at 730. We'd love to have you there as well. God bless you as you go today.